0: Hi, and thanks for tuning in to Speak Up, Speech Pathology Australia's podcast. Each week, we feature an interesting, thought-provoking, and clinically relevant conversation to enhance your speech pathology practice. Let's hear from this week's contributors.
1: Hi, this is Nathan cornish reilly and I'm speaking to you from the lands of the Wurundjeri Warurung and the Boon peoples of the Kulin Nation. And I acknowledge Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples as the traditional owners of the lands, seas, and waters throughout Australia. And I pay respect to elders past and present and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. Today, we're talking about the transition to the speech pathology workforce, and we'll be hearing a few different perspectives on the professional support that can facilitate this transition. And I'm so pleased to be starting off by speaking with somebody who's in the middle of this experience right now. Jen Wong graduated a few months ago from the University of Melbourne and has very recently begun working as a speech pathologist. So welcome to the podcast, Jen.
2: Hi, Nathan. I'm glad to be on here.
1: We're glad to have you. Uh, First of all, congratulations and welcome to the profession. Thank you. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and the work that you're doing?
2: Um, so I'm currently at, I'm actually doing, uh, working at two places at the moment. So my full-time job is at a community-based um, speech pathology uh, clinic. So they, they're they actually quite a big um, clinic. So they have a lot of behavior support practitioners and they have a small team of speech pathologists. Um, and we do mainly mobile services so we go out um and see our clients and I also do a um I work on Saturdays at a clinic that I used to work at when I was studying um and I run the group therapies there um on the Saturdays during the term during the school term
1: Excellent. Wow, that sounds like an exciting way to start your career and <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's the first experiences you're getting uh, yep. straight out the gate. Yeah. How have your first weeks of being a speech pathologist been?
2: It uh, hasn't been too bad. I think um, coming into this week, the the first week, I've been very nervous, um, nervous and excited a little bit off everything, basically. Um, mm-hmm. But it's been really nice so far i think i've had very supportive um clinical leads um, m- lots of my colleagues have been very welcoming as well um so it's been really nice uh to get to know uh, the people i'm working with but also the kind of work that i've been that i will be doing um coming in yeah
1: yeah excellent you know and i think it's normal to experience a range of emotions right um you know, I definitely remember feeling overwhelmed at points, but uh, there's also this feeling of accomplishment that comes as you're doing things more independently and you're you are finally, you know, practicing these skills that you worked really hard to acquire. Yeah, and you talked a bit about, you know, the supports that you receiving and that you're, you know, in a, a helpful, supportive, welcoming environment. Um, and that's excellent. I'm wondering Um, if there are any experiences or supports that you had at uni that you feel really helped you prepare to get started in the profession.
2: Mm, I think, I think a lot of the experiences I feel like um, definitely my placement, a little bit of each of my placement. Um, So kind of when you go through all the different placements, you kind of figure out what you like, what you don't like, not only in the field of speech biology, but what kind of supports you want Um, because you experience different types of supports from different um, clinical educators. Um, So I think being able to experience the range of different clinical educators helped me find out what kind of supports I liked and didn't like. Um, That was one Mm -hmm. of them. Um, The other thing was um, I did work, uh, as mentioned before, I did work at a paediatric clinic during my studies as an AJ as well as an admin um, support. Um, and I think during that time, being in that kind of environment, being in that um, as an allied health assistant, you do uh, work with other speech pathologists as well. And so you kind of get uh, hints of things here and there from them, you know, what work life is like, what kind of supports they're getting, what you should be expecting when you kind of graduate. Um, And also, you know, I met a lot of different um, uh, people working in different areas as well, and they told me what they experience in their workplace. Um, And so I took a little bit of each experience and compare and contrast those kind of things. Um, And also one thing that I did um, during... uh, Last year, before I graduated, was that I kind of talked to a few places. So I, I spoke to the clinic that I was working with, someone who worked at the clinic that I was working that I'm working with at the moment, um, and I also spoke with um, another workplace as well, just to get an idea of what they did. Um, and I, because I think from uh, listening from my colleagues, um, pr- uh, they felt like working and placement. Sometimes don't match. They don't. They don't feel the same. Uh, when you're placement, you're really supported. You're also kind of um, doing the work for the sake of, uh, you know, getting through your degree as well. You have that in the back of your head. You're being assessed. You have to finish this so that you can finish your degree. Whereas in the workforce, you're working um, not necessarily for a clinical educator, but you're working for yourself and for your client. Um, so that experience is very different. Um, mm-hmm. And so. Being able to listen to other people in the workforce, listen to um, uh, different workplaces and how they they worked, kind of helped me figure out what I could do. Getting into that, going into the profession and the workforce.
1: Hmm. Excellent. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you had some helpful conversations getting started. I I did a
2: lot. I did a lot of conversations. I think I I wasn't sure what what I wanted to do when I I was coming out of uni. So I just spoke to a lot of people.
1: Huh. Well, that's great that you were able to, you know, get some support and direction before you even started practicing um, Mm -mm. to to figure out where you wanted to go. Um, Something you said about... The experiencing a range of types of support and um, I'm guessing different feedback styles or different ways mm-hmm. of engaging you um, it sounds like it left an impression has has that led you to talk to you know your current supervisor or your employer about the support that you need?
2: I think um So I haven't really had a a time where um, I haven't had my supervision session just yet. So a a lot of what I've done in the first week was just induction and learning the systems of the workplace. I have spoke to a few of my colleagues already, but um, that is definitely one thing that I will be doing. Um, I think I spent a lot of my time during uh, my first week thinking about what kind of supervision I want to receive. Um, And partly because I've had um, previous experience getting certain types of feedback um, how I get them um, whether or not I prefer kind of being kind of getting my hands dirty first and then asking for feedback or do I want a bit more direction things like that so I had a little bit of thought about it during my induction week and so I think that's definitely something I'll bring up with my, um, my clinical lead uh, during our supervision session yes.
1: Excellent. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's a piece that sometimes gets missed when we're starting a new professional support partnership, when we're talking Mm -hmm. to a supervisor or a mentor is, you know, how do I communicate and what, what, what are my needs for feedback? And I'm also learning about, um, you know, how the supervisor communicates and uh, (laughs) what their needs are. Yeah. Um, So have there been any, uh, any surprises as you've gotten started? Anything that you didn't realize was going to be so difficult?
2: Um, I wouldn't say it's a surprise. I think it was expected, but it's still a bit—it's still catching me off guard. It's—it's it's the fact that you now that you are a practicing clinician, you do have some form of independence. So there are a few kind of administrative stuff that you are going to be expected to be doing yourself. Um, and even though I'm being supported to do that, I think I'm also the type to, um, think negatively about what might happen. And (laughs) so, um, I think the worst case scenario, that's it. (laughs) I think about the worst case scenario. Um, and then I try to think of all these kind of solutions for it. Um, and so I think because there's so much, um, kind of learning the patient management system and, and, certain ways of taking notes, how to write reports. Um, I think I expected that there would be this amount of information, but I also am still a little bit um, feeling a little bit like, oh, I really have to kind of get used to this and realize that I'll have to be doing this myself at some point.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, and those feelings of, of independence are a good thing, right? That Yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, the responsibility of that can um, be a little daunting sometimes. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. I
2: do. I do really like that now I'm having that kind of independence. But yes, like you said, it it is a little bit daunting coming into it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, So can you tell us a little bit about the supports that are available to you in your workplaces?
2: Yeah, so there's a few. Um, There's definitely those weekly um, or twice a week uh, supervision that's scheduled into your calendar um, and then there's also kind of PD trainings uh, internally and externally as well um, and we do do forms of peer support. So Earlier I mentioned they we have some um, behavior support practitioners at our clinic and um, we also have some OTs at our clinic as well so once in a while you know getting together and chatting about things um, and sometimes as well if your client um has um has some uh difficulties with things that might be out of your scope of practice um but they don't have the professionals looking after them um you can get you can take some time to consult with that professional about um your caseload and and bring those information to your client so those are just here and there there's quite a few different supervision options professional supports in my workplace um so I I personally can't list all of them they have they do have quite a bit and I think um uh, for me the best part about where I'm working at is just just the vibes of everyone you know everyone's really um you know really a, a, um approachable you know you can go up to them if you have any questions and and even if they're not your your direct uh the person managing you or in your team, you can still chat with them and everything. So,
0: yeah.
1: Oh, great. Well, then it, yeah, it sounds like there's a number of supports going on for you. like, yeah. <laughs> um, And that a bit of the workplace culture of mm. people being friendly and approachable and responsive is, is helpful. And I think it, it is also really helpful to have access to interprofessional support sometimes mm-hmm. um, and to talk – to people who have a different scope of practice, but where that kind of overlays with what we do sometimes and uh, collaborate with one another and learn from one another.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. Well, so final question. Uh, What do you think employers and supervisors and other people who work with new grads should know? about the transition into the speech pathology workforce
2: um i feel like that question is quite difficult for me to answer just because i feel like all the new grads are quite different um when i was preparing to look for a job all of my classmates and all of my friends uh, mentioned that you know you have to find a place that's very structured um a place that gives you um, a lot of support um they schedule in kind of, you know, induction, two weeks of it. But then coming coming into the work, I kind of, I feel like I like the idea of having that support available, but I'm not necessarily someone who needs, you know, consistent kind of, um, not sure how to explain it, actually. I think um, I was having a chat with a friend and she said that she – she liked her induction week and she got to learn a lot, but she really just wanted to jump in. Um, and I think that's how I'm feeling as well. Um, where, where, as I do like having the option of having support. Um, sometimes, you know, I just want to get in there first. And then, you know, if I have a question, um, I, I'll ask my lead or I'll ask um, a colleague. And having that option is is something that I, I like. Um, but someone else... Uh, might prefer to have kind of a a two week induction where they learn everything first and then get in there with a the client. So I think just knowing that there are different people coming into the workforce and all the new grads are a little bit different, I think. And if you're willing to work and chatting with the new grads about what kind of supervision they want.
1: Yeah. And I think that, you know, sometimes it, can be helpful to get started and, and figure out what you don't know <laughs> before you exactly. get support. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it sounds to me like it's been helpful to know what the supports are and that they're accessible and that you can, you know, where and how to get them when you need them.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. Yeah.
1: Well, Jen Wong, it's been a pleasure chatting with you today. Best of luck as you get started in the profession.
2: Thank you so much. It was nice talking to you
1: too, Nathan. Our next guest on the podcast is Stephen Pitt. Stephen is a speech pathologist who has just completed his first year of practice, so he has the benefit of a bit of hindsight on what is still a recent experience for him. Welcome to the podcast, Stephen. Hi, Nathan. Thanks for having me today. We're glad to have you with us. To get us started, can you tell us a bit about the speech pathology work that you do?
3: Yeah, so um, I've been working just over a year now in the Central Adelaide Local Health Network at Hampstead Rehab Centre in Adelaide. So I work predominantly with adults who have experienced a stroke or brain injury, supporting them with their communication and their swallowing. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been an amazing first year for my career.
1: That's great. How did you get interested in that area of practice?
3: yeah um, I, I went into the course always with my eyes set on working in the adult space. I've had some personal family experience, like people that have had brain injuries. so it's always been my favorite topic within the uni degree, um, and then was lucky to have a acute hospital placement, and, and that really sparked my interest further. so was keen to do all the interviews and, and was lucky to get the position. So yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's wonderful to be able to start your career working in an area of practice that you have such personal interest in. You know, right now, a large number of new graduates are in their first weeks of their careers as a speech pathologist. Do you remember what those first few weeks of practice were like for you? Absolutely. So looking back
3: to those first few weeks, um, they were definitely stressful at times. There was lots of learning that happened in those first few weeks, just kind of thrown straight into it in a busy hospital setting during an unprecedented, I know I've heard that word a lot, but a really chaotic period, um, obviously with the COVID pandemic um so I guess this was just so much to learn straight away that we just didn't get exposure to at uni um all the team processes admin processes documentation statistics that comes with working in a hospital setting um and you kind of have to get your head around all of that before you can really start the speech side of stuff so yeah but it's lucky i been in a really supportive workplace. I was um, reassured that it's not expected that I was to know anything. As long as I'm keen and enthusiastic, that's all that matters.
1: It's fantastic that you had so much support. Can you talk to us a bit about what types of support you received?
3: Yeah, um, so I guess just informally, I work in a really supportive team where it's always okay to just be bouncing off ideas and just asking questions to anyone But formally, I'm lucky to have a formal clinical supervision program that I'm working through with my supervisor. Um, In Carlin, the Central Adelaide Local Health Network, the speeches have a set of dysphagia competencies that we work through. So that's something that I've been working through with my supervisor. And usually it's been about weekly or fortnightly sessions, just catch-ups working through those competencies, um, but also just general things that might pop up in my development. Really anything that I'm unsure about, it's a safe space that I can ask my supervisor and get support with my own learning, uh, pursuing professional development, getting my head around all the processes, but also some specific clinical support as well with more complex patients that I'm seeing.
1: You know it can be a big transition to go from being supported by a practice educator or or clinical educator as a student to being supported by a supervisor as a qualified speech pathologist. What was that transition like for you? Yeah, um, it's certainly difficult
3: to kind of initially get your head around. You're not as, I guess, nurtured in that placement environment. Um, I guess it's a lot more self-directed. So you're having to be a lot more self-aware and, and um, have some insight and monitoring how you're tracking and, and what areas you are a bit unsure about. Um, and I guess just making the most of that golden hour of support where you can ask anything and prioritising the things that are needing a bit more support. Whereas, I guess, in the placement setting, you have your CE, they're watching you, and um, they're kind of a bit more responsible to kind of come to you and tell you if you're needing to improve in a certain area, whereas it's so much more self-directed in the workplace. Um, but there's similarities as well, I guess. Like, I think as new grads, it is an extension of our uni degree it's a, it's a year it's, it's kind of like a glorified placement year really where you're you're still getting your head around um, like for me with the dysphagia competencies I guess that's similar to like this the CBOSS like compass competencies that were required for the uni degree so there's similarities in that sense um, but yeah certainly a lot more independent and, and self-driven and you can make it what you want it to be. You can come prepared to that supervision with a list of topics um, that you've you've kind of identified over the past fortnight, and then and really make the most of it. And then come away from supervision with further reading to do or actions to do if you if you identify a similar issue in the future. Um, mm. So yeah, I think you're in a lot more control, and, and yeah, you can make it really great if you want it to.
1: Mm, yeah. And, you know, you've used a few terms like being self-directed and independent and monitoring how you're tracking, and those are important skills to develop as you're getting started as a new practitioner. Do you have a process for engaging in critical self-reflection?
3: Yeah, I guess it's something that we're always doing as clinicians, and it, it might be at first, every single interaction you have with a patient, I remember just coming away from like my first language assessment and thinking, what went wrong there? What went well? What do I need to change in the future? Um, and then I guess at the end of the week when you drive home, um, thinking about all the positive feedback you got, all the things that didn't go well. Yeah, and things to avoid in the future, and then I guess formally in the in the space that I work, we have a formal professional review and development as well. So there's some guidance there with setting some great goals, and yeah, th- that's a, that's another opportunity I guess to reflect and plan for how you're going to keep your development
1: going in the future. Mm. Hmm. So it sounds to me like you engage in a mix of some internal self-directed reflection as well as external supported reflection.
3: Absolutely. And it's something that kind of just comes up organically, I guess, for me. I don't sit down at the end of every day and write a big long list of <laughs> things that I did, but I guess it's still important to kind of silo little spaces. And, and a part of your supervision might be that. It might be, just starting with a quick chat about how everything's going and then things will just pop up then and you can kind of chat about with your supervisor.
1: I imagine that the amount and type of support or supervision you receive changes through the course of your first year of practice. Can you talk to us a bit about how that might have changed for you? Yeah. Um
3: those first few weeks uh, it was about just getting my head around those fundamentals of working in a hospital so I was getting a lot of support I guess just clarifying the team processes I guess what's the role of the staff participating in a staff meeting and attending I guess the journey board huddles and what does it mean to be a rehab coordinator so I guess just still clarifying my role and all of those basic processes And then I guess as I started to build my own caseload, it was getting some more clinical advice, ideas for how to do some aphasia therapy or, um, yeah. And it just, there's so many different ways that I've received some support there. And initially, I, I guess I was seeking support with just some basic things like what aphasia assessment to use, for example, for a patient, um, and as I continued to develop through the year, I was able to be exposed to some more complex scenarios and initially that would just be shadowing my supervisor, so going along with them and watching how they did that initial assessment, maybe for someone with really severe dysphagia, maybe if they were nearby by mouth, um, at first watching them and, and how they were going to help that person. And then with some more exposure, i was able to increase my independence and start seeing those patients. Just with my supervisor there, just watching and checking that I was not making any huge mistakes that might put the patient at risk Um, and then coming away and having a chat about it, what went well. Um, And now I'm able to see more complex patients by myself, maybe patients that are having transitional feeds or maybe some non-verbal aphasic patients or patients that have mixed communication profile. And I'm just having occasional check-ins with my supervisor when I need. Um, But there's definitely a lot more independence now and and I'm able to determine myself when I need to go get support. Recently, I, I still sometimes need some support with differential diagnosis of, I guess, more frontal language initiation difficulties and apraxia um, of speech that can be really tricky. So coming away with a recording from a um, motor speech assessment and then chatting about that with my supervisor is really helpful.
1: It definitely sounds like there's been a progression in the type and level of support you've received. Did you have explicit conversations with your supervisor about the support that you needed at specific points in time?
3: Um, yeah, often my supervisor talks me through how their supervision experience was and what they got out of supervision, and that was really motivating for me so that I could kind of follow in their footsteps and and go down that same pathway. I guess, again, it's kind of just intuitive and organic, and you and like you know when you're kind of, if you're unsure about anything at all in, in the hospital space, and particularly if it's more complex, I guess that's an indicator you have to stop and, and seek support um we we need to be delivering high quality care um so i guess
1: yeah not really no (laughs) (laughs) well and i think that's a great point to talk about you know in some situations a speech pathologist might need to have an explicit discussion about the supervision support they need and talk about any gaps but many times both we and our supervisors get that sense as you say organically by having regular communication and catch-ups.
3: Absolutely. And, and my organization I work in, we, we have like an orientation video explaining supervision and, and there's certainly lots of resources about it. I would encourage new graduates to definitely chat with their managers about if there's any resources available about supervision and some tips, I guess, and guidance there.
1: Um, yes, and SPA also has a range of resources on supervision. Uh, so I would also encourage new graduates and those who support them as well to check out the supervision page on our website, um, as well as the supervision video on the Work Ready resource. So final question for you, Stephen, uh, what do you wish you had known in those first weeks and months of practice as you were starting your speech pathology career? <laughs> um, I think for
3: all of us a lot of us tend to be perfectionists and particularly in the adult space it can be very competitive so we, we leave uni and we're, we're going through all the interviews and it's, it's easy to be really harsh and critical of yourself so I think looking back my main advice would be to just go easy on yourself and, and remember that you're a new grad there's so much learning to occur and that's okay and I think most employers would like people to to just be accepting of feedback. And I think the main thing is just to be keen to learn, but don't be too critical because you don't want to burn yourself out. And yeah, I, I think just that work is a huge part of our lives. And it's easy for it to become stressful, but it's so important for it to be a positive and enriching space. And rather than to approach things, being critical in yourself or how to improve Try to just be curious and find things that interest you and and get some enjoyment out of it because, um, yeah, if you can enjoy your work, it just makes it so much more enriching and, and fulfilling
1: in the long run. I think that's excellent advice. You know, we all need to be kind to ourselves, but especially as we're starting a new career. Stephen Pitt, thanks for being with us today and sharing some helpful thoughts from your experience. Thanks so much, Nathan.
0: Hello, and welcome to Speak Up. My main name is Nadia. I'm one of the podcast producers, and today I'm joining you from Wurundjeri Country. I'd like to start by acknowledging the traditional owners of the lands on which we meet and from which you are listening today. Ishwari Samakun is the owner and principal speech pathologist at Speech Therapy Services in Perth. Ish has worked in a variety of settings and is interested in helping early career speech pathologists quickly feel empowered in their roles with her resource, The Speechy Life. Hi Ish. Hello. Let's jump straight into it. So from the perspective of a supervisor and practice owner, how does supervision help new graduates transition into the workforce?
4: Um, To me... I look at supervision as professional development and I think that it's really important that as clinicians that we're continuing to develop our professional skills, our clinical skills, our interpersonal skills on an ongoing basis and I think as a new grad when you are entering into the workforce there is quite a bridge that needs to be built between the skills that you learn at uni the skills that you learn at Pratt and the skills that come into play in the workforce. So I think that's for me the first place that supervision, mentoring and that support comes into play is to help bridge those skills and also teach those skills because there's many things that you know you're constantly learning as a speechy no matter how long you've been out but I think as a new grad speechy there's so much you still just don't know and you need to be directly taught those skills as a supervisor when you share your ups and downs the things that have worked for you the things that haven't worked for you it helps it's it helps a supervisee or the mentee feel a lot more relaxed in the supervision relationship. Um, They're able to be more open with you as well. You're able to see some hurdles or pitfalls and like those ethical considerations, you can see them coming as well so that you can put things in place earlier. I think also having supervision on a more regular basis, weekly, fortnightly, rather than leaving it like monthly, also means that the supervisees feel really comfortable with you so they come to you with the problems and um, all the issues, all the hurdles that they're facing because I think sometimes what happens is and I I have a pet peeve around the word supervision because I always (laughs) feel like, you know, especially from that relationship that we have when we're in uni, it's about being judged and it's been about assessed and Mm. um, being criticised in many ways about what it is that you're doing and I think that when you go into the workforce you don't want that, you want something to be really nurturing and collaborative and I do wish we had a better word for it because I think if we could make that a really positive thing and make it collaborative and make it a really safe space where you're hearing about The things that your supervisor may have done well or poorly as well, where they've learnt their lessons, it makes you more open to take that information as well. Um, And then it stops that anxiety and overwhelm and just the um, spiraling that happens, Mm. particularly with new grads, when they're just not sure because they don't know what they don't know. I might just pick up a little bit of
0: what you were saying about frequency there. Um, And I think that's a really interesting point because I noticed that with maybe not early early career speech pathologists but maybe those that have been out 2 or 3 years that it's a lot of it's a bit of a dance finding the exact frequency that works best for everyone so that they aren't just coming and going oh my goodness here's a spot fire help me put it out but you still have that time and capacity to do that active reflection and forward planning and thinking about those things that perhaps aren't necessarily immediately the thing that you're worried about as a supervisor or as an an early career speechy but there are still value in being able to talk about how do I have that conversation I am a bit worried about this what should I do about it so I think that's a great point there as well
4: the other you know, in terms of for an employer, sometimes, you know, there, there is just a big cost, there's a large cost to mm. be able to provide good supervision and frequent supervision. But I think what um, as employers we have to look at is the happiness and overall well-being of our clinicians, right? So the more job satisfaction, especially in this job market, right, especially now, the more mm. satisfaction a clinician has in their job, the more likely they are to stay in that job, Right. And then as speech pathology as a whole, the more likely they are to remain as speech pathologists because we've got a retention issue in speech pathology as well. And so on top of that, then you've got really good outcomes for clients because they're not changing therapists all the time and they're having a therapist that can work with them, especially in the NDIS space for a longer period of time as well. And that's a huge cost saving to business.
0: We've talked a lot about what supervision could look like for somebody that's quite early in their career but from the 2022-2023 membership year there's now actually a requirement of two hours of professional support for all of us all speech pathology australian members um and so i'm wondering about your thoughts of what this might look like for somebody who isn't an early career speech pathologist
4: in terms of supervision, sometimes it's really useful. This is what i found is to speak to other professionals, so not mm-hmm. speech pathologists, but uh, recently, for example, I've reached out to a OT because I'm working with neurodivergent children and I need more support in the sensory side of things. So I think reaching out to other professionals especially when you have been working as a speechy for a while what you're really looking at is where are the areas that I might need to get a little bit more upskilling in and I want something more specific than going to a, a pd where it's more about your general caseload rather than a particular client um i also thought that if you are uh, experienced speechy working like looking to dabble in a new area so you're moving in maybe into the feeding space that would be a good time to get supervision in that area um also in terms of updating your practices so particularly in neurodiverse affirming, or it might be that you're working with more multicultural families, uh, First mm. Nation families, so that's an area that you could get more supervision in. Um, another thought I had was in terms of like... Um, If you are starting to go into management, you're starting to manage Mm. staff, you're starting to supervise other therapists, um, you've got, uh, you want to look at um, supporting staff with disabilities. So that would be an area, again, in our practice, I feel like we can really get supervision and support in NDIS and that entire space around NDIS, whether that is how to write better reports and having a look at your reports or how to support families with that initial meeting. And the last one I thought about, especially as um, private practice or business owners, if you're looking at a new revenue stream for your business, so you might be starting to run groups or workshops, that could be another area to get that support.
0: Yeah, Another thing that sometimes works quite well is having small groups come together. So um, rather than it being one-on-one, having four or five people come together, um, we do at one of my workplaces, we all read the same thing. So we might read an article and talk about it together. Or um, sometimes when the, um, the informed SLP has just come out, we'll all go away and read that and then come and discuss and talk about individual cases and how we can apply those things as well, which is a really lovely way of um, sort of having a, a bigger idea of what's going on with other people and um, clients that you're not working with
4: as well. That network and that community right mm. because I think as therapists you know often we are working alone like it's just mm. us and the client us as the, and the family and so it's really nice to have that additional support and in a way that again you're not feeling judged and you're not feeling criticized it's adding on and it's um, allowing you to feel really comfortable in your learning in a really safe space.
0: One of the things that I'm hearing as a consistent theme throughout all of this is having a lot of self-awareness is really beneficial when you're coming to the supervisory relationship, whether that's that you're the supervisor yourself or whether you're the supervisee. And I'm thinking a little bit about some of the professional values that Speech Pathology Australia has outlined for us within the Code of Ethics. But I'm also wondering about personal values and, and how being mindful of these can help us when we're entering into that relationship and and how that can um, help us notify us of things that maybe are a little bit more difficult, but also help us um, identify our strengths. I'm wondering about your thoughts on that.
4: I think firstly, you know, values, I think, is something that we hear mentioned often, but how often do we actually sit down as adult humans and actually go, what are our values? And I think understanding our values is so important because if you don't know what you stand for and what's part of your identity and what's important to you, how do you make decisions that are going to support you? And often then it results in making decisions that don't support you. You end up spiraling, you end up burning out um, because what you think you want versus what You actually want are two quite different things. So I think that's where self awareness and actually you know um, sitting down like I've got like a burnout PDF and in that is the values. Like you have to go through and tick your values. I think that all of us need to know what our values are because Mm. even just a, a basic thing like when you have a therapy session and you don't feel like it's gone very well, and we've all been in that situation. If we can run that therapy session through our values. We can go, okay, we've, we've done the best we can because we have lived within our values and we have given the best that we can. And it mm-hmm. may have not been the outcome we wanted, but we have done our absolute best. And there is something logical that we can go back to rather than just our feelings. Mm-hmm. So I think understanding our values is so, so important and, and something that really needs to start at the university level. I love that. Have you also had those experiences where it's also the organisation that the therapist works for and the values of the organisation versus Mm. the values of the therapist? They just don't gel and therapists are being asked to do things that they feel incredibly uncomfortable with um, and is outside of their scope of practice in that particular role or with the level of support that they're getting, but they're being asked to do it. And again, I think that's where... understanding yourself, understanding your values, understanding what's a hard boundary as Mm. well versus a soft boundary, you know, um, because everything's quite nuanced. And what somebody could say yes to in one situation would be a hard no in another situation, even in the same job. And it can lead to burnout so easily, Mm. right? And that overwhelm and that, Overworkload and that not being able to switch off as well and sometimes it's just our personality traits and we all well many of us tend to sit in that perfectionistic um, side of things Um, but I think if you if you don't know yourself and you and I think that's where the mindset work has to come in we don't talk about it much as speeches but I think it's important that we do get some support in terms of our mindset because that kind of that's a game changer for many of us. And I think um, being able to have that insight to go, this is actually what I need. This is what I'm capable of doing. And this is where I feel like I'm out of my comfort zone, not because I haven't got a growth mindset. It's not because I'm not willing to give it a go. It's actually because it is completely outside of my comfort zone. I was also just going to add that I think when you've got that self-awareness as well, it's um, and you're in that um, supervision mentoring relationship, you can actually ask for things that you need. So for mm. example, with my mentees, um, some of them will have um, contact with me over WhatsApp or Messenger and I'll do voice memos. But for some of them, they don't, like voice memos, it's too much. They need everything typed out. So when you can actually tell your supervisor or mentor, this is the way that I learned Best. this is the way that the information needs to come to me I need this amount of time to process it or I need more visuals or less visuals that really makes a difference as well um all right
0: so the last thing that I wanted to just speak to you about today was just some of the things to think about if you would like to supervise other people so how do you know that you're ready to offer supervision what are some practical considerations any resources or anything that you'd like to um, suggest to people here would be great
4: I think you know, like what I see is, I see a lot of um, early career therapists who are really eager to step up into supervision and supervisory roles, and and it comes from a, a beautiful place of I had this wonderful experience, and I want to pass that on to somebody else, right? Like they're wanting to share. And, it's, and I think that's a really, really positive thing. But if you don't have that experience and that clinical experience where you've seen lots and lots and lots of clients, you've learned lots of things so that you're actually being able to come into that supervision role or that mentoring role um, from not just a place of theory and evidence base, but from actual practical clinic, like just practice yeah just practice right and you and you can't get practice without practicing i mean that's that's the whole thing right like you just got to see loads and loads of clients otherwise what i think what will happen is that this you as a supervisor you're going to feel like an imposter like you're being asked asked questions and you're doing a role that you aren't ready for, you're not prepared for, and it's going to undermine your confidence. It's going to undermine your confidence, not just as a supervisor, but as a clinician as well. And I think that's such a disservice to yourself. I think that if you can just wait and get that experience, and and a part of that as well is being really clear about what you don't know. Like, what, what is it that you actually know? What are the areas that you are really confident and passionate about talking about, but also have the experience to back it up? versus the areas that you don't know for me it's AAC if if um, clinicians come to me wanting any information about AAC I am not your person I think you have to be able to confidently say these are areas that I'm just not good at these are the people that are amazing at it but this is not area that I do it you've got to have a look at personality type not everybody is suited for every role and that's perfectly fine I think You need to have a personality type where you understand your boundaries, you know not to take on other people's issues and, you know, like um, be able to leave that information when the session finishes. You need to know when to delegate and when you feel out of your um, comfort zone and your knowledge in that supervisory role, you have to be okay to have hard conversations. I think this is a big one. Because you know when you're a super when you're supervising or uh, mentoring, you've got to be able to have those hard conversations, and you've got to be okay with being wrong. That's a big one as well, and sometimes our ego gets in the way of that. But it's really important, and as well um, that you being in the supervisee or the mentee role yourself, so you being supervised yourself, you've been mentored or coached yourself, also helps that because you've been in both positions then. Whereas if all you're doing is kind of supervising, um, it's it's not a very um equal kind of perspective either. So I think it's really important if you're going into supervision that you yourself have been supervised quite a lot. You've been coached quite a lot, you've been mentored quite a lot as well.
0: All right, before I let you go, are there any resources or anything else like that that you'd like to recommend for anyone today?
4: So if you're a new grad, I have created the Grad Life Roadmap, and this is for all new grads for their first full 12 months out of uni working. So it talks to how you might be feeling each month as you go through your 12 months, the habits that you will need to develop each month, the expectations that you will have versus the expectations your employer will have because often they don't match and then the reality is and when to seek external help to seek more supervision or to seek external PD yourself and if you are a speech pathologist that is um, feeling really burnt out or would like to have a look at your values and the, um, the kinds of things that you need to make your workplace work better for you I also have a burnt burnout PD. Available as well as a free download. These are again skills that you could take into your clinical practice as well Mm. as the supervision. Uh, as supervision. Also, um, I can only speak about universities in Perth, but often if you want to be a supervisor for um, undergrads, the uh, uh, universities will run some supervision courses as well. So that might be the first place that you might want to dabble in. And then if you feel like it's the right fit for you and you're really enjoying it, to go and do those extended courses I think would be so invaluable. Um, And I'm just thinking about the skills that you'd even be able to bring to parent coaching sessions and your um, client work as well. It would be amazing. Sounds great.
0: Thank you so much for your time and wisdom today. Thank you. We're now joined by Nicola Dan, a speech pathologist with over 35 years' experience. Nikki runs Communicate Consultancy, a private practice in Melbourne, and works for Origin Child and Youth Mental Health Services. Thanks for being here, Nikki. Thank you for having me, Nadia. Um, let's jump straight into it. So from the perspective of a supervisor and a practice owner, how does supervision help new graduates transition into the workforce?
5: Yeah, so um I think uh, the first thing to think about is that when um graduates graduate or when speeches graduate from uni, they're really uh they're really at the very they're really at the very tip of their learning, their clinical mm-hmm. learning. Um, and they may have had some clinical experience in placements but they might land a job where they have a caseload that they haven't they haven't seen um that in their in their placements and so they they really need um supervision to develop their clinical skills firstly Mm -hmm. um and to and to ensure that best practice is is being undertaken Um, But there are a whole bunch of other reasons why um, new grads need supervision. And I think one of the things that's super important and that I've had a lot of experience with um, new graduate supervisees around is actually managing their workload. Mm -hmm. Um, So when you're in a clinical placement, very often that your workload, your caseload is is organised and streamlined by your clinical supervisor, so it's not something you have to think about. Mm -hmm. So a supervisor is able to help the supervisee identify when they're overloaded, um, to help them, to support them, to facilitate them to look for solutions and then also to empower them to be able to advocate for changes with their employer in in a really helpful and effective way and respectful way. Um the other element of supervision that I think is really important and, and sometimes overlooked, uh, especially if uh, there is an external supervisor um providing the service, and that is on the admin component of our work. Mm. So the paperwork, the report writing, the progress notes, and so on. Um, I think having a supervisor to keep you on track in terms of your timeliness um and just giving you know giving support and guidance around report writing because it's not easy um you know i've been around 35 years and i still find report writing hard (laughs) Uh, so you know and i think it's something that's really important for supervisors to to support uh, new grads on um and and i think also you know i think new grads these days are really well versed in the idea of having a self-care plan but you know, in order to implement a self-care plan and keep it going, you've got to have self-compassion. And so I think yeah. supervisors can support the and assist a supervisee to, to find that self-compassion for themselves and, yeah, and then to be able to actually implement the self-care plan. Um, and finally, I think um, there are many new graduates working in the NDIS space now, and I think that it's a really complex and ethically fraught area and so having a supervisor helps you to identify ethical issues and concerns and unpack those and sort them out before they become um, formal complaints yeah
0: Definitely. yeah and it's one of the positive things that's come out in, in this year um, is the Speech Pathology Australia members have now got an obligation to have a minimum of two hours of professional support. And so for an early career speech pathologist, that probably does look like supervision. But for somebody that isn't an early career speech pathologist, what are some thoughts about how that could look that you have?
5: Yeah, well, um, you know, I think this is a, um, a, a great thing that Speech Pathology Australia brought in. And, and I because I basically believe that we all need supervision. It doesn't matter yeah. how many years of experience. And I'm yeah. I'm really hoping that you know every few years that those hours are in, the minimum hours increase. Um, it, you know, for somebody who's not um, an early career speech here or not a new graduate, um, there are so many reasons or uh, purposes for for getting clinical supervision uh, or professional supervision. Um, we talked about ethics before. I think there are... I, I, I think, you know, the world that we work in is becoming increasingly more complex. Mm. And and as I said, NDIS is a very complex space. So I think there's always... It doesn't matter how experienced you are, you're always going to come up against ethical issues. Yeah. And to unpack an ethical issue usually takes time. It can't be something that you can talk about in five minutes usually. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, really, you really need to hear the whole story and to tell the whole story. More yeah. importantly, um, I think also we all, regardless of experience, have blind spots. Um, mm-hmm. There are there are kind of holes that we continually fall into over Ooh. our life. Um, you know, depending on our personalities, our temperaments, you know, our, our past histories, and so having supervision can really help identify those blind spots and. Mm-hmm pop strategies into place.
0: Um, and it's or, fine to have those sorts of things. It's fine to have areas that are weaker on. It's just a matter absolutely. of if you know about it, you can kind of go, oh, that's not me. <laughs> oh, I need some help oh, here. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, they're
5: just things that trip us up. The other thing is yeah. that sometimes, um, you know, families and, and clients, it can be a, a client's story. It can be the client themselves or their family, evoke really strong feelings in us. And mm. You know, I think we need to, when we have those strong feelings, that is the time to seek supervision, mm-hmm. to work out what's going on there, because your strong feelings might actually get in the way of you being able to provide effective service. And I always think to myself, when when I'm working with a client and I start to get annoyed, I start to feel annoyed <laughs> or start to feel annoyed with the client's family, that is the time to be talking about that client and what's going yeah. on
0: yeah, and I think sometimes you can you can have a lot of awareness about what's going on for you, but it really does take somebody else being like, "But why is that happening for you exactly. in this case, and not someone else?" And um, yeah. for you to be able to really properly unpack it. So having those conversations are just infinitely useful.
5: Yeah, for sure.
0: Um, and I think that there's some other reasons
5: why somebody who's more experienced might seek supervision. There could be It could be they're, they're setting up a private practice for the first time and mm. need support around that. They might have been working in a very big organisation where they had a huge amount of structure. Now they're on their own. Um, and, um, or, again, it's a, a fact of NDIS that you can sometimes get the most unusual and, you know, uh, referrals of clients, types of clients that you've never seen before. So it's really important to reach out for supervision um, and get some up-to-date knowledge around working with a particular type of client. Mm. And I noticed on the... the member hub that there was a speechy who was moving um, moving to a, a completely different region in Australia, which meant that her practice was going to have to be quite different. And so she's reaching out to get clinical support around the fact that yeah, the practice will be very different, will be a diff- very different caseload. So that was really, really great.
0: Yeah, awesome. Mm. Um, so part of the Speech Pathology Australia Code of Ethics outlines some professional values Um but how can having a sense of your own personal values and being mindful, both of our professional ones and of your personal ones, help us when we're seeking supervision, just to help remain engaged with the, within our profession? Mm.
5: So, you know, I think, I think there's two bits to that. I think, first of all, we mm. have to be very clear about what Speech Pathology Australia's Code of Ethics is and what, mm. what, the, what the values of speech to Australia are. And obviously we wouldn't be speeches if our values didn't align with the, with <laughs> the SBA values. However, um, I think it is great to do some work on your own values and be very clear and understand what your values are because mm. if you don't, they can sometimes drive you to do things that may be out of scope uh, yeah. in, in the work. So, for example, you know, if you have strong values around um, compassion and and caring for others, you you know, you might be tempted to give somebody a lift when it's not clinically justified. Um, you know, uh, values of excellence, which many of us species seem to have, might, you know, might push us, you know, we might find that we're working really long hours to finish that report to make it perfect or... You know, develop the most beautiful resource for a client, or, the, or what we think might be the best type of resource for a client. When you know, really good enough is probably going to be okay. So yeah, yeah. So I think I think not all, but many speeches seem to have that that value of of excellence. And I think we just have to be yeah really mindful that those those values can yeah they can be they can um, they can actually at times lead to burnout um, without, if we're not conscious um, uh, of them. And I think talking about them and looking at how they drive you and sharing that with your supervisor in a really psychologically safe space is going to be the best way forward.
0: Yeah, and a lot of that safety I think is really important and valuable there. And and I think if, mm. you, if you know that about yourself, that you are, likely to want to say yes to something um mm. and to want to say yes to people it gives you an opportunity to go oh hold on a- am I just agreeing to this because I want this relationship to be like that and to feel like mm. that or is this something that I actually genuinely feel like I have capacity and skill to be able Ooh, to do here absolutely. Um, and it's a very well, difficult s- sort of thing to be able to tease those two things apart I think
5: yeah. oh I think I think you're absolutely right and I think when I reflect back on that's probably you know that in in myself personally I think that's a value that trips me up a lot and certainly it did when I was um earlier in career and you know the supervision that I got when I was early in career was kind of very a very traditional it was clinical supervision it was very much like student supervision and I think that you know that that was helpful to some degree but to be yeah. able to, you know, have those really safe conversations about, you know, what's driving you, what's driving you to yeah. do this, I think
0: it's, it's it's certainly something important. I think as a field that we are all changing towards, and I think that's got a lot mm. to do with the fact that that we are all a lot more self aware and that we're thinking yes. about a lot of these things as well a little bit more. Absolutely. Um, I think that leads us nicely to our last question, which is just to think about some things that if you were wanting to supervise other people, what should we be thinking about? How do you know if you're ready to offer supervision? What are some practical things that we should be thinking about here?
5: Mm. So, I mean, the first thing is you have to be you have to feel reasonably confident in your own clinical skills and to have up to date knowledge. And or know where to source up-to-date knowledge in the areas that your supervisees are going to be working in. So that's that's number one. You, you know, you have to have the, the, the appropriate clinical skills. Um, I think you also need to have developed a certain level of personal maturity and you have to um, have developed your own reflective practice skills and you have to value reflective practice Um because that's what you're that's what you're wanting to develop in your supervisees so that eventually they can become more independent in the way they work so you know i think that's um really important
0: Um, And to just kind of double down on it as well, one of the things that we've been doing quite recently um, in the workplace that I work in is that I've been giving people who are coming into a supervision role supervision on their supervisions. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) And it's really nice thinking about like professional identity and the sorts of things that you, how you want to portray yourself, how you want to support others, doing some reflecting on things that have happened in the past, which is a a great way that we can get some professional support hours ourselves as well.
5: Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. Yes, and I did work in an organisation, not as a speech pathologist. It was I, I worked as a manager, but it was an organisation that valued supervision highly. And mm-hmm. so we had that process of um, training, you know, or supervising supervisors. So we would have yeah. supervision groups and people would bring, you know, say, for example, they were having uh, a difficulty with a particular supervisee in terms of the relationship they would bring that to the supervision group, and we would we would discuss that. So yeah, I think that's yeah great, fantastic. Um, I think yeah, I think uh, you need to be a good listener. Um, you need to know, and you need to know um, how and when to coach versus teach. Um, and I think you know you you know that if you have a good understanding of the stages of learning and the style and adult learning styles and that you can supervise accordingly so for example you uh, are going to supervise a novice learner very differently from an expert or a wise learner so you know and there are stages in between Mm. and and your role as a supervisor changes so you know i think having having that sort of knowledge um which may come through reading or ideally through some training um, would help you would help you to be in a good place to to provide supervision
0: um were there any like... trainings in particular that you wanted to mention the ones yes, so, you? yes yeah. so
5: i would I've, I've done i have done a number of supervision um training courses over the years um the one that i would recommend highly is um it's offered by the bovary family therapy center in mm-hmm. melbourne which is actually now part of la trobe university and so they have a six-day um clinical supervision training course and it's it's great. I think you can do it both online and face-to-face. Um, it, it became online, obviously, during COVID. Mm-hmm. So that I would highly recommend. I also, there's an uh, organisation called um, St. Luke's Innovative Resources. So it's a sort of an offshoot from St. Luke's Anglicare, um, who are based in Bendigo, and they do a strengths based supervision course. Oh, I love um, that. Which is,
0: yeah, yeah,
5: which is really, really great. Um, And they have a suite of um, strength-based workshops around things like strength-based tricky conversations, um, strength-based case note writing and so on. So it's not these courses, both of those trainings are not specifically speech pathology um, focused, but I think that's actually a really good thing. Yeah, Uh, Yeah. I feel that my supervision skills grew when I got training outside of my profession.
0: Yeah. And there's a lot we can learn from speech pathologists, but there's a lot of different allied health professions and other professions generally that have slightly different values to what we do. And Mm. there's different ways of approaching things that potentially could be really beneficial as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
5: Um, Yeah. And I think, um, you know, we talked about psychological safety before, and Mm. I think if you're going to want to be a supervisor, you have to think really carefully about that and how you're going to do that and how whether you know what you would need to do to establish that psychological safety fairly quickly um you know that's such a great point yeah Yeah. there's a number of things that you need to keep in mind on that one look i think that undertaking professional supervision training is important Mm -hmm. i think we you need to be continually checking um the the relevant speech pathology australia document documents so Mm -hmm. the ethics the standards um the position statements the relevant position statements and the clinical guidelines and making sure that you're always referring back to them with your supervisee um, I think you have to be able to dedicate specific regular times you need to have a space a confidential space that's like it It seems like a basic point but it's sometimes in some organizations that's actually really difficult to find yeah
0: it can be um, yeah
5: and if if there's a, if there's a worry you know where are we going to be where are we going to find a room where are we going to find a space that doesn't really create a sense of Calm and psychological safety. So it is. Yeah. I think that's a really important practical point. Um, yeah, and I think you know you you need you need to you know you need to have your own. You need to sort of have a, a, a an element of calm. So you know you need to sort of be emotionally and mentally prepared to go into a supervision session and have left everything else behind and be yeah. totally there for that supervisor. Yeah. So they're just they're just a few practical points. There's many, but... Um...
0: <laughs> it's one of those <laughs> things, isn't it? We could talk about this yeah. for hours. <laughs> be good. Be good. yeah. yeah for sure. All right. Well, look, we might leave it there for today. Okay. Thank you so much for your time, Nikki.
5: No worries. Thank you so much, Nadia, for having
0: me. We hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. Please be sure to subscribe or follow the podcast and share it with your colleagues. You can also visit us at speechpathologyaustralia.org.au Thanks for listening and bye for now.